Hey, good morning. Oh, that sounded good. Y'all are alert, awake, and hopefully ready to listen. So I'm, I'm excited about it. So I, I got to be honest with you. I am super, super excited to be in front of you today, not only because uh, I get to share the word, but also because I've, I've really been nervous and really been uh, scared to death this week. And uh, not, not just because I was preaching, not just because I, you know, I had a very serious task in front of me, but my biggest struggle was that I had three United flights so this week, and I was terrified about getting drug off the plane. I was so so worried about it. And luckily, praise the Lord, by the hand of God, I was on everyone. They took off and nobody drugged me off. So I would have been even more nervous to see the person that would have had to drag me off, you know, because that had really been something. So, so, so far this, uh, this summer, this month, and all, uh, Tim has told us about a summer to remember, a summer to remember. Uh, does anybody remember all four sermons that he's preached? Oh, I'm going to tell him. So the first one was remember the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath, and so far you all have thus far. And uh, secondly was remember, remember while you still can, remember while you still can. Um, thirdly was remember your leaders, and then lastly was remember the gospel, remember the gospel. So all of y'all remember that now, right? Y'all remember that? Like, oh yeah, I remember those, those. So remember, he told us to remember something. And for those of you that know me well, you know that I couldn't just do exactly like Tim does. I couldn't just follow the status quo. So today, I'm going to tell you, stop remembering. Stop remembering. Don't remember anymore. Stop remembering. Is that okay? Everybody's scared to death. They're like, oh no, no, stop remembering. Uh, So we're going to jump into Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, uh, the 43rd chapter and uh, starting about verse 16. So Isaiah 43 and verse 16. I tell you what, I I saw somebody do this one time and I I think it's awesome. I, I think it shows a lot of reverence. If you will, let's stand as we read, as we read this. Everybody stand, please. So Isaiah 43 Starting in verse 16, Isaiah 43, verse 16 says, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. What a, that's a good line, a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that, forget it all. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. All right, guys, you have a seat. Forget all that. Forget it all. So in verse 18, it tells us to forget all that. The King James Version says, remember ye not. I don't know who ye is, but remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of the old. So here today, I'm going to tell you to stop remembering, stop remembering. Uh, So a little bit of backstory, a little bit of understanding. So first and foremost, uh, the prophet Isaiah was a prophet of Israel for about four kings, the lifetime of four kings. So it's roughly a span of 40 years is what he would have covered as the prophet of Israel. Um, a couple of uh, interesting things is that what he's talking about uh, prior to this is the captivity of Egypt. So what do you, of course, there in uh, 16, 17, that he, he's talking about when they were captive in Egypt. So where he picks up right now, where we find ourselves with the, the, 
the nation of Israel is they're in captivity again, but this time it's with the Babylonians. So it's with the Babylonians this time. Uh, and, um, a couple of other interesting things about the prophet Isaiah is that the prophet Isaiah or the, the scripture of Isaiah is the most quoted Old Testament author of anyone in the New Testament. So any, anyone in the New Testament quotes the prophet Isaiah more than they quote any other Old Testament scripture. Fun fact, when you're on Bible Jeopardy, you can write that down. But even more importantly, he is the most quoted by Jesus. Jesus talks about the prophet Isaiah more than any other Old Testament whatsoever. So, so pretty, uh, pretty interesting things. And, and also something that, that's exciting about that is we know that we're in good hands. If Jesus feels confident enough to quote the prophet Isaiah, then we know that we're in good hands here. So um, he, he talks about the Egyptian captivity. And up to this point, uh, prior to this, the Egyptian captivity is the largest example of what is to come of any other Old Testament stories. What am I talking about? So of any other Old Testament story, they talk about being slaves with no hope. So they're, they're slaves in the captivity of the Egyptians, have no, zero, no hope whatsoever. And then Moses comes to save them out of their captivity course, that's a wonderful foreshadowing of what's to come with Jesus. Jesus, of course, has taken our slaves. We're slaves to sin. He takes away that, that sin because he, he leads us out. He, he leads us into righteousness. Uh, the main difference here is that Moses was foreshadowing what was to come, but the prophet Isaiah is actually prophesying. He is prophesying about what's to come. Did y'all like that, how I seamlessly transitioned from one page to the other? I didn't, like I wasn't looking down at it. Was that impressive? Y'all were just staring at me too much, so I had to, had to mix it up a little bit. And so uh, Moses actually was foreshadowing the prophet Isaiah. He is prophesying about it. So he's telling us what's to come. Right there in, uh, in verse 18, he says, forget all that. Forget everything that happened before. Forget all of the time that you were in Egypt. Even forget what's happening right now with the Babylonians, because I'm about to do a new thing. I'm about to do a new thing. That's got to be exciting. If that doesn't get you a little bit excited, then, then you're asleep on me today. Okay, so, so what's the application here? What does this, what does this tell us? What do, we, what do we learn? First and foremost, Christ has come. All right, come on, y'all. Y'all got to help me out here. So the main thing is that Christ has come. Okay, we're getting there. We're, the redneck section is there. Now we've got to get, get the baptistry side in there. So Christ has come first and foremost. So this is the most incredible takeaway for this verse is that he is foreshadowing. This is 400 plus years before Jesus is born is when Isaiah is saying this. And he's saying, I'm going to create a new thing. I'm going to create a way out of the wilderness. I'm going to create, you know, a water, water out of dry land. It's, it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be something, it's going to be huge. And for, for anybody that's in this crowd that's a believer or anybody that's an, that's an unbeliever, to think about the fact that Isaiah, he had no, no recognition of Jesus. He would have not known Jesus, would have never been around whenever Jesus was alive whatsoever. But he's telling that Jesus is coming. But for me, I get the opportunity to tell you that Christ has already come. Christ is here. So everything that we're going to talk about is made possible because Christ has already come and Christ has already died and Christ has already risen again. So that, that's, that's the guarantee for everything that we're going to talk about. Secondly, this is a call to the church. It's a call to this church. It's a call to the church down the street. It's a call to churches around the world, around the globe. What is that? What is that talking about? What, is that, what does that mean? How can this possibly connect to us. It's because 
if we continue to do the same thing over and over and over again, then we're never going to have any change. We're never going to grow. We're never going to move. We're always going to stay in this exact same place. The, quite literally, the definition of, its, of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a new result. That's the definition of insanity. That was, that was for you. you. You love definitions. So that, that was absolutely for you. And uh, so that's the definition of insanity. If we do the same thing over and over again and expect new results, then that's crazy, quite literally crazy. But we find ourselves in that situation today. We find ourselves here today and that we, we continue to come to church. We continue to sit in the same pew and people get really upset when you sit in their pew or sit in their location or sit in their spot. We get so upset about that, but yet we expect that something new is going to happen in our lives. We expect that we're going to get some new word from God when all we do is come to church, walk out the doors and wonder about where we're eating at. I know this doesn't feel good. Because it doesn't feel good to me either. Here's something else that I can tell you. The new youth pastor is not going to be the same as Matt Betts. I know that some of you in here, a lot of you in here have children. A lot of you in here have people that are going to be risen up under this person's tutelage. And you know Matt, you love Matt, and I love Matt, and I'm crazy about him. The new youth pastor is not going to be the same. He's going to be different. But the Bible tells us that I'm creating something new. And my prayer for all of you is that you will be excited about the person that's coming, not only because he is somebody new, because I know some of you don't like Matt. I mean, I get it. (laughs) I know some of you are excited about something new, but I know some of you are kind of nervous about it as well. But if you're not praying for this young man, young man, he's older than I, um, if you're not praying for this old guy, if you're not praying for this person, if you're not behind them and pushing them towards the direction that God wants them to go and the direction that God wants his church to go, then you're just holding us back. You're just holding us back. I've grown up in church and had the opportunity to grow up in church. But the problem with growing up in church is that I, I, I see a lot of the same things over and over and over again. I know I, I, know I said that. But one of those same things that I always see is about what God did. God did this for me, or I saw God move in my life. I I saw that he did this, past tense, past tense, past tense. Very rarely do we ever talk about in this church, in our world, in our communities, in our homes, very rarely do we ever talk about what is God doing? What is God doing? I am so excited and so thankful that I had the opportunity to be saved as a young man. So glad that I didn't have to go throughout my life struggling with the same old things over and over again. Oh wait, I did. I was saved as a young man, but I still struggled. Still had the same struggles that I could have had and would have had even as a, as a lost person. But God is doing something new in my life today. I've never said this in front of this church, never said it to this congregation. Many of you know this, but I felt since I was 19 years old, I felt a call, a call to preach. I felt a call to be in ministry of some way, some fashion. And God is doing a new thing in my life. And that leads us right to the third part. This is a call to us. It's called us as, as individuals. 
What is that thing? What is that, what is that sin? What is that struggle? What is that thing that keeps bubbling up in your life time and time and time again? And it seems like no matter what you do, how much time you pray, how much time you, you take devotionals or, or, or you read through all of these things, what is that thing that keeps bubbling up in your life? I'm not asking you to tell me, but I want you to think about that thing. I want you to ponder on that thing. What has been holding you captive in your life? What has been dragging you down? Or what is that thing that you're staring at in your present that you know is going to lead to your future? Is it like me? Is it a, is it a call? Or maybe it's a conviction Or it could even be a concern in your life that you're saying, man, if I could just overcome this one thing, then I could really live for God. Forget all that. Forget all of that. There's probably someone sitting here today that's saying, man, I'm I'm, I'm such a mess. I'm such a you know, a problem. I've got all these struggles in my life. And if you knew the inner parts of me, then you wouldn't even let me come into this church. Forget all that. Remember ye not. I like that. I'm going to hashtag remember ye not. Forget all that. As I was, as I was studying for this message, uh, uh, Spoiler alert, Tim actually, uh, Tim actually was telling me, he's like, hey, there's a, there's a passage in Isaiah that, that talks exactly the opposite of remembering, so um, I think you should preach that. So, I, of course, I had to do that for him. But as I was working through this, I, I kept coming back to, um, to one story, and, and it's actually in John 8. I'll, I'll read it for us. Don't, you don't have to worry about flipping there. It's in John, John chapter 8. Says Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers in religious law and of the religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. So this woman is caught red-handed, caught in the act of adultery. And and according to religious law, the law of Moses that we'll see in the next verse, the law of Moses, that's she can die can kill her we can we can stone her to death completely legal completely within the 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 parameters of what is right and what is wrong they were trying to trap him in verse six it says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him but jesus stooped down and rode in the dust with his fingers says rode in the sand i'm so uh, I'm so intrigued by this. I wonder what, you know, what was he writing? What was he saying? Um, I think there's something really beautiful in what he was writing. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Y'all know this story. This is, not a, this is not a new story. This is something you've heard time and time again. And, and I kept coming back to this point because this woman was caught. She was caught red-handed. She was in the act. And, and there was no way for her to get out of it. It wasn't like she could say, oh, well, that didn't really happen. It's all, you know, it's all a misunderstanding. No, she was caught, caught red-handed. But the best part, so all the accusers heard this and they, they slipped away one by one and they left. And then Jesus stood up again. And he said, 
where are your accusers? I know y'all don't know where I'm going or you may not understand where I'm going, but that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. You're asking yourself, what good am I? What, what value do I have with all this garbage that I keep piled up on my life and all this trash that, that I keep dragging along with me? And as I look into the mirror, I think, wow, I'm, I'm really worthless. And you're caught. You caught yourself. You're caught red-handed. But can I tell you the words of Jesus? Where are your accusers? Because the crowd, the religious leaders, they're demanding that you die. Everybody in this world is, is telling you that, you know, this Jesus thing is silly and that this, you know, this religious thing is just, is just a, you know, a myth. But who else can tell you that? Come on, guys. Who else can tell you where are your accusers? In spite of all your filth, in spite of all your garbage, in spite of all your, your blackness. Where are your accusers? Did not even one of them condemn you? Because they had them. They had the rocks in hand. They were ready to go. They had her, it was all circled up. There was a crowd that was gathered. I could see them, you know, they were like a pitcher. They were in their windup. But not one of them cast a stone. There's, there's a lot of things going on in our church. There's a lot of exciting things. You think about, you know, Journey Church and how that, you know, Matt Betts is planning a, a brand new church. Uh, you, you think about this worship ministry. You think about all these different things that are, that are happening in our church. And it's really, really exciting. Or you, you could have got a card like this that says, Yoke Fellow Nominee. You, you could have got a card like this. You could have gotten in your mailbox and you could have, you know, skimmed over and you're like, ah, I can't do that. I'm not interested or I'm not capable or I'm not qualified. And you know what? That's exactly right. You're not capable and you're not qualified. Because if you were qualified, I wouldn't want you. But the question is, are you going to let God do a new thing in your life? Or are you just going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a new outcome, expecting something different to happen in your life? That's, that's the question. That's the, that's the call to action, guys. Because if the nation of Israel would have simply sat and done nothing, they would have missed Jesus. And then what would this world look like? 
And we think as we read these stories and we think as we read these passages, oh, that's great. You know, they actually, they actually lived in Jesus' time. Oh, that, that's wonderful that they lived in Jesus' time. But we're living in Jesus' time now. We're living in the time of Christ today. You know, it's something that's even better that Jesus himself said that I have to go. I've got to leave so that you can get someone better. Who was he talking about? He was talking about the Holy Spirit. He was talking about something that could live inside of us. The Bible says that the same power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, come on, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And I love this scripture and I read it and read it and read it and never thought about it, never thought about the power, never thought about the application that it has to our lives. But the same exact power, if you I love the, 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 the concept of Frankenstein. I know that's crazy, it's silly. But, you know, you see all these thunderbolts and, you know, coming down in order to raise Frankenstein from the dead, from out of life. And that's just a movie. Think about the amount of power that it took to be called down from heaven in order to raise a dead man to life. Come on, y'all. Y'all are not listening. To raise the dead man to life, and that's the exact same power that we have living inside of us, but yet we're terrified to even tell the person next to us that, man, I really love Jesus. Or we're, we're terrified to say, listen, let me tell you about what Christ is doing in my life. Let me tell you about what Christ has called me to do. Man, I'm getting fired up now, so I don't know how long this is going to go. Y'all just sit back, relax. What he's calling me to do in my life. Why are we so terrified? What are we so scared of? I'm a huge Southern gospel fan. We had this female quartet up here, and I, and I, I love it. I love that kind of stuff. And there's an old there's an old song that uh, the cathedrals did, and then, uh, you know, all these different people, you know, what does is, what is Tim say? Listen to Papaw, you know, listen to Papaw talk about these old, old groups. They sang a song that said, I've read the back of the book, and we win. Y'all, come on. Don't just let this be the fourth row that's talking to me. I've read the back of the book, and we win. And you know what's funny? That's something that's new. That's something that's brand new that we don't talk about. That we don't spend any time telling our friends and our family and our neighbors and the people that we come into contact with on a daily basis. We don't do that. That according to the back of the book, according to all the way through the book, we win. We win. And I don't mean to puff myself up. I don't mean to... to to sound pompous, but this is really good information. <laughs> you know, this is, this is really pretty good stuff right here, guys. And, and all of this, this information and, and all of this stuff that you hear from this pulpit time and time and time and time again, we, we are blessed to have one of the best preaching and teaching pastors in the country. We are blessed to have that. We cultivated a young man in Matt Betts that came from God knows Texas. You know, I don't I didn't know anything good came from Texas or 
or Mississippi or wherever he was, you know, wherever he came from. You know, but apparently you can't polish a turd, right? That was too far. That was too far. Too far. Too far. I'll accept that one. But we cultivated a young man that is now probably the second best preaching and teaching pastor in the country. We cultivated that. And they pour into us on a daily basis this amount of information and all of this, this wonderful access to the gospel. But the goal is transformation. The goal is something new. The goal is to renew your mind, is what the, what the Bible says, renew. Let me tell you this. Get your pens and paper out, because this is good. Information with no application can never equal transformation. All this great stuff that they're giving you, that they're, that they're pouring into your life without application, it's worthless. Just a noisy gong. No application. If I have without love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Application. And I pray that you don't just run out of this door on the verge of destruction. You don't run out of this place and you're on the verge of tears because you know that God said something to your heart today. Because we, we prayed right before we walked in here. My prayer is always, anytime I speak, anytime I, I say anything, that God, you will strip everything that is Caleb Hodges out of me. Take away Caleb Hodges. And fill me with nothing but you. It's constantly my prayer. So don't leave here knowing that you need to do something different. Knowing that God is calling you to something new. Don't leave here knowing that 81010, is that right? And text to serve. Don't leave here without doing that when you can't get that off of your mind. When you constantly think about, man, I need to do that. Man, I need to do that. Don't leave here when God is trying to do something new in your life. I've I've had the opportunity to lead cafe and and last last Sunday, we took some time to, to to really talk about what we're about to do. And I'll let you ladies or, or whoever, whoever is doing that, I'll let you ladies come up. And we, we took some time to, to really talk about this space, to talk about this, this time in the service. And in the Old, Old Testament tabernacle, I, I, I love this. I've been studying about the Old Testament tabernacle for a long time. And in the Old Testament tabernacle, you would enter through the door, enter through the gate, and the first thing that you would come to was the altar. So once you were in the courtyard, the first thing that you saw was the altar. And though our altar looks a lot different, it may um, you know, not be mobile like that one was, or it may not you know, have, <laughs> have sacrifices on it. But this represents the sacrifice of Christ. 
And that in order to get to the holy place and then into the holiest of holies, you had to pass by the altar. You had to sacrifice in order to get before God. And the holy of holies was was quite literally where God lived on earth, was his throne on earth, is is what this place was. You had to go through these steps in order to get before God, to get in the presence of God. And I just ask that you do that today. I ask that you're willing to come to this place of an altar, this place of sacrifice, to stand in the presence of God. Let's pray. God, what a good day. What a good opportunity to be in your house. God, I know, I know we say that as a cliche so often is that we're like, oh, it's a, it's a great day to be in the house of God. But God, I ask that you indwell this place. God, I ask that, that this is not your house in a figurative sense, in a metaphorical sense, but God, this is your house in a literal sense. Be with us. Be amongst us. But God, be inside of us. God, we want to feel that power. We want to understand your presence, not just around us, not just in our neighbor's life, but God, in our life, a true ability to feel you, God. And I pray for each and every person that's sitting here, anyone that's listening, anyone that may be present online, God, I just pray for them so that they can hear you and they can know you, God. In your son's name we pray.